Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. Hey, have I ever told you how much I love the Word of God? Okay, I'm a word nerd, you know that, but I love, like, just can't get enough of it, love His Word. I love that they are His words. I love that His Word is so deep, we can spend all our days and never exhaust the depths of His Word. And yet, He provides fresh discoveries of Himself every single time we open His Word. I just love that. And I love the actual words He uses in His Word. Uh, Okay, anyway, I just thought you should know that. Let's get started. If you've been following along in this study through the letter to the Ephesians, you might remember us talking about chapter 4, verse 1. Understanding to walk in a manner worthy of your calling literally means to bring up the other side of the scales. The Greek word for in a manner worthy is one word. Remember, axios. A-X-I-O-S, meaning that on one side, tipping the scales, are all the privileges of our salvation. We were once dead in our trespasses and now made alive in Christ. We were adopted, forgiven, redeemed. And while the other side of the scale floats high in the sky, how are we to raise the weighted side of the scale, our salvation? What is it that brings the privileges of our salvation up? It's the way we walk. That's the axios, in the manner worthy. The way we live as children of God from the inside out. In the scriptures we're about to look at, God is going to call us to walk as wise. If you want to read this with me, Please open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Here's what it says. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's dispensation. Dispensation means wasteful. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so Paul is wrapping up this whole section on how to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Do you see that first word in these verses? What is it? Yeah, therefore. And of course, we want to know what the therefore is referring to. Does it refer to walking in the light as children of the light that was just in the verses before? Because that would make sense. Wisdom would come from one who is light. 
not living in the futility of the darkness, but living as wise. 418, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Yeah, that would make sense. But I tend to agree with Harold Honer, the theologian, that this conjunction serves as a conclusion to all the times we have been instructed to walk in a manner worthy, to raise the other side of the scale. Now, therefore, walk as wise. This is conclusive. Paul has given us five virtues that will balance the scales, that will raise up the privileges of our salvation. Each time he introduced it with, walk in a manner worthy or walk in. The first time was in Ephesians 4, 2, walk in humility and gentleness, not in pride and the fear of losing control, but giving that control over to our great God. The second time walk in a manner worthy was brought to our attention was in Ephesians 4, 17. Walk in a renewed mind no longer in the futility of a dark mind in the ignorance of the ways of God. Next time, we saw in 5.2 that our walk was to be of sacrificial love, not selfish lusts, indulging in the immorality and impurities. And then last time we read 5.8, to walk in a light and even expose darkness, that we check our lives for darkness still lurking in the shadows of our new life. Well, we have come to our last walk in a manner worthy virtue. Paul has painted a picture of the chosen children of light, holy and blameless before God, redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Oh, Father, teach us today how to walk as wise with a growing understanding of each of these virtues as you, through your Holy Spirit, continue to work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. For it is you our hearts long to please, Father. May our walk every day be a sweet, sweet aroma to you. Teach us more than just the knowledge of your calling, but God, give us the strength to walk in it more and more as we submit only to you, Father. Will you look at Ephesians 5, 15, 21 again with me? 15 says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Wise in the Greek is sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S. Sophos is having a skill, something that you've learned and become pretty good at. Basically, walking wisely is a skill which involves implementing with the spirits enabling what we learn from God's word. Simply put, walk in all that God has called you to do. You want to grow in wisdom? Study, not just read, but get into God's word and know what he says. Then do it. Understanding it is only through the power of God that we succeed. I heard a pastor say, wisdom in the Bible is not some theoretical, ivory tower, airy fairy thing. It is a very practical thing. And ultimately, in the Bible, wisdom is never understood to be known until it's done. <laughs> yeah, let me say that again. Wisdom is never understood to be known 
until it is done. You may say that you believe something, but until you're doing that in the Bible's terminology, you're not wise yet. Wisdom isn't that you know some stuff. It's knowing and believing, desiring and doing the truth, the will of God, all wrapped up together in your heart. Look, we can know to do all the right things. That's knowledge. But as a good friend often says, life isn't a straight line. It doesn't run along a railroad track straight and predictable. Life is more like a roller coaster, over and back, side to side, with flips and flops. You can't have a specific list of responses for all the things that are going to come down that track. So, in the twists and turns of life, we're going to have to have some wisdom, some skill to navigate in righteousness. And that's going to take our full attention. Look what Paul says next in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The idea behind the most of your time is that you buy up opportunities like a shrewd businesswoman or businessman who knows that time is a precious commodity and that it is to be used to its fullest advantage. Young Jonathan Edwards made a series of resolutions one year. It was a long list and a very useful list of resolutions. One of those resolutions read this way, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. That is maximizing your most precious commodity, time. What are you doing with your time? Are you looking for opportunities to serve, to encourage, to correct? Are you gaining knowledge and wisdom from God's word daily? Or is it just so busy that if God called you to a ministry opportunity, you wouldn't be able to stop and do it because you're so busy? Man, I am convicted every day to allow enough margin in my schedule that if God calls me to serve, that first and foremost, I'm not so busy to hear his call. And second that I'm able to step out into it. When that time is gone, it's gone. Friend, the days are evil. Darkness is all around us. Today we watch with growing concern over our borders. Society moves further and further away from our Judeo-Christian worldview. We hear horror stories of worldwide trafficking and drugs destroying the lives of the innocent and the vulnerable. And so it goes on and on. From a biblical viewpoint, evil does not reside only in those who terrorize or who use their power to hurt others while they feather their own nests. Rather, we all live in evil days. We all confront evil in our own lives. We've all been under the domination of evil. We all live in a time when the battle between good and evil rages. Yet, we're not stuck. We're not captive. We are not without hope. When we acknowledge the evil of the days, we have a chance to do something profound for good. We are light in the darkness. So, in verse 17, it says, So then... Do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. If I read that right, foolish cannot understand the will of the Lord. Read it again. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The wise does understand the will of the Lord. As light, we walk in light. As wise, we have the ability to walk in wisdom. And then through Paul, the Holy Spirit gives us the worthy way. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dispensation. That's wasteful. But be filled with the Spirit. That be filled is to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. Just as alcohol can saturate the body, he's telling us to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit implies freedom for the Spirit to occupy every part of our lives, guiding and controlling us then his power can be exerted through us so that what we do is fruitful to God. The filling of the Holy Spirit does not apply to outward acts alone. It also applies to the innermost thoughts and motives of our actions. Psalms 19.14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Which leads us into the next verse concerning wisdom. How we, being filled with the Spirit, speak to one another. Instead of a society of people devoted to getting drunk and wallowing together in a pool of depravity, Paul paints a picture of a community dedicated to exalting the Messiah and lifting one another spiritually higher. It's a community characterized by a spirit of gratitude in which the watchword is thanksgiving. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is how we speak to one another. We heard the best sermon last week by the praise and worship leader on this very verse. He talked about the scientific effects of singing together in church. One of the curious results of COVID-19 lockdown back in 2020 was the opportunity to experiment with virtual worship. With rare exceptions, most of us in 2020 neither sat nor stood nor knelt in a physical place of worship. We exchanged no friendly handshakes. We received no heartfelt hugs. And for the most part, we didn't sing together in the same room. Instead, our bodily experience of worship were marked by separation, depletion, and digitally mediated encounters. For many, the result was not only deteriorated mental and physical health, but also spiritual anemia and relational estrangement. While church leaders should be commended for going to great lengths to learn new forms of technology for remote church services, the experience of exclusively digital worship could not satisfy our God-given need to sing together in a common physical space. Maybe this is in part why Jesus said not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of son, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near in Hebrews 10. There is something called interactional synchrony. Interactional synchrony allows people 
to adjust their behaviors to one another and demonstrate their connectedness to each other. It's, it's like a dance, people mirroring one another in a common experience. When we sing in church with other believers, interactional synchrony heightens our ability to be emotionally and relationally attuned to one another. It serves the purposes of forging bonds across all kinds of cultural divides, family, ethnic, religion, and so on. It forges bonds and builds unity. And because the Spirit is the author of all things natural, not just supernatural, the sciences offer invaluable insights regarding the unique power of communal song to corporately unite Christians in spiritual ways. How cool is that? In our relationally fraught and estranged times, this is good news for the church. Paul might not have had all the scientific data that we have today, but you know that this is not news to the Holy Spirit who caused Paul to write these words. Perhaps that's why we find that despite being scourged and imprisoned, Paul and Silas could keep their minds on Christ Jesus, praying to God and singing praises to him. Turn with me to Acts 16, 22, so we can read that together. Acts 16:22. It starts out where Paul and Silas are being beaten. It says, Then the multitude rose together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them, Paul and Silas, to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul speaks from experience about this interactional synchrony. He and Silas had experienced it for themselves. They found comfort and camaraderie while praising God with hymns and praying. I imagine that after being beaten with rods and whipped, their voices were weak and cracked from all the trauma. Their mouths would have been dry from the loss of blood, and yet they prayed loud enough the prisoners were listening. Their songs may not have been melodious, but they were sincere. And I believe that their act of sacrificial love to the Lord was a sweet, sweet aroma to him. In verses 20 and 21, we find two more characteristics of being wise. While verse 19 spoke of how being filled with the Spirit, we are led to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and building unity. Verse 20 is how we speak to God. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will have a desire to worship God and to encourage others in their worship of God. The connection between being filled with the Spirit and praise is significant. Those who are filled with the Spirit will naturally praise. And praise is the way that we are filled with the Spirit. It seems so reciprocal. I'll be honest, sometimes I struggle to be thankful. But for me, to sing to the Lord or to read his word, to listen to praise music or the word read from an app, 
will inevitably bring my mind to how great our God is and how great his love for me is. And I'm able to thank him in all things. Verse 20 says, always giving thanks for all things. Always, all. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Somehow, singing and thanking is the best way I've ever been able to reset my mind and my heart on the God so worthy of my worship. All right. The last thing Paul wants us to know about a spirit-filled life is our response to others in all things is marked by mutual submission. Verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. (laughs) For some of us, this might very well be one of the more challenging commands in the worthy walk. In fact, I believe that this last imperative is that outward expression of the first one. Do you remember what the first one was? The first one was in chapter 4, verse 2. Walk in humility and gentleness, not in pride. We talked about how pride sometimes expresses itself in fear. Fear of letting go of the things or people we believe we can control. Humility is having a proper estimate of who you are and who God is. Knowing in the depth of your soul that he is God and you're not. And with that knowledge of peace and a joy in our complete dependency on him. So here it is. When we know who we are and who God is, we know who the others in the family of God are, our brothers and sisters. Paul's going to take the better part of the rest of this chapter and the next to share how we ought to submit to one another within the various roles of the family. We'll get to that But let's not miss this truth. A walk worthy of our calling is going to be marked by people filled with the Holy Spirit, rooted and grounded in love. And when the love of God, demonstrated by his son Jesus Christ through his sacrificial love, is imitated in his children, they will humbly submit to one another out of the very love by which they have been loved. Not just because it's a command, Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because they know and value that they were first loved and forgiven and redeemed and chosen and adopted into the family of all families. Submitting to one another is going to be the fruit of our worthy walk. Before we leave this section, will you come with me and let's make a couple of observations. First, position and progress. It's important to understand two things about these virtues, all all of these virtues, these walk-in worthy virtues. First, positionally. All these things are true of you, completely and fully. You are wise. You are light. Our position before the Father is as co-heirs with Christ, inheriting every blessing in the heavenly realms. What is true of Jesus is true of us before the Father, When God sees us, he sees the same virtues that are in Christ. That's our position before the Father. Secondly, progressively. We have not yet come to complete maturity in all of those blessings and virtues, but we're able. We have been enabled to obey the present imperative command to make these virtues, these walk in a way worthy, 
our lifestyle by continually, habitually practicing them or to work out what the spirits worked in. The complete picture, the full maturity of this is Jesus Christ himself. Only he does it perfectly. Thank God we now have the ability to walk in them. We need to continually and repeatedly step out of our old ways and into the new ways, as Paul's been outlining in Ephesians. Here's the thing. We have right standing in heaven before God, yet we must grow into who he has called us to be. It's as if God has fully provided our complete wardrobe as kids of the king. In our closet is humility, gentleness, grace, joy, peace, patience, a sound mind, and love, to name a few that Paul mentioned. All the virtues of his beloved son are lavished on us and ready for us to step into, to put them on. But the clothes don't always fit very well out of our wardrobe. In the beginning of our walk, we had never even worn them. But as we continue to walk in our new life with Jesus, we are able to dress like him. We're able to put on humility, righteousness. We may even need to grow into them, but they are our clothes and we're to walk in them. We're to wear them. <laughs> you know, at Christmas, our family has a tradition of wearing matching Christmas pajamas to the Christmas Day celebrations. Last year, all of us were wearing the same red and black buffalo check pajamas. Big and small, narrow and wide, long and short, everyone's pajamas looked the same. But of the 14 people in red and black pajamas, nobody was the same size. And some pajamas were loose while others were tight. Some needed to grow into their pajamas and some needed to move up a size. That's what it's like walking in these virtues. We all have inherited them, but we need to put them on and to grow into them. And as we continue to mature, we may even get so we need a bigger size. But at some point, we've got to step into them in obedience. Take the next right step towards your godly nature and you will grow in his likeness. I know all analogies break down and this one's about to crash. But we need to realize that we are being called out of this world's darkness to live differently. And that's our second observation. The first one was position and progress. The second observation we make in these first few chapters of Ephesians is kingdom life is unique, different, other. We are not to look like the sons of disobedience in any way. Paul said it shouldn't even be named among you. And that uniqueness will be most evident in how we one another, love one another, pray for one another, carry one another's burdens, greet one another, even, yep, submit to one another. The manner in which we are to walk is so unique. It is so different than anything the world's ever known that if Jesus hadn't demonstrated it and given us the word of God in letters like Ephesians, we would be hard-pressed to even know what that uniqueness looks like. Kingdom life is unique. 
And there are three unique qualities to Kingdom Kids, to us. We are unique in nature. We're alive and not dead. We are light and not darkness. We're family, not foreigners. Humble, gentle, kind, patient, tolerant, loving. And we are unique in our behavior because as humble, we behave humbly. As gentle, we behave gently. As wise, we behave wisely. We behave out of a sound mind, grounded in wisdom and sacrificial love, imitating the Father. The third uniqueness of being a kid of the King is that we are unique in our destiny. Our destiny? Yeah. Even though we are deserving eternal separation from God, we have the confident expectation of eternal life with God, heaven, where God dwells eternal, where there is no need for light because the Lord God is light. Our uniqueness is what will be light in this dark world. By God's grace, may we walk in such a way that other believers benefit from our light and that unbelievers are drawn to that light. And here's our last observation, the battle cry. It's interesting to me that there seems to be a battle cry in verses 15 through 18a. And then in the second half of 18 through 21, the moon is more relaxed, singing songs and being thankful. Let's see if we can make some sense of this paradox. In verse 15, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as wise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dispensation, but be filled with the spirit. The beginning of this section is given in a tone, a, a, a cadence that demands a willing, correct and immediate response. Watch carefully how you live. Be alert. Pay attention. Be sober minded. Be wise to redeem the time. The opportunity will never come again. The days are evil. Opposition is great. Your enemy is near. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't surrender your powers of judgment to alcohol. Do not be wasteful, for it is dispensation. These words ring with a sense of urgency. They're like the words of a platoon leader addressing his unit just before they enter combat. The air is tense and your heart is beating fast. And even if you love battle, your hands are sweaty. Watch your step. Be smart. Don't miss your opportunity. Keep yourself lean for the battle. Do you feel the battle cry? In the next chapter, Paul's going to come back to this and address what the battle is that we fight. Then comes verse 18b through 20. Be filled with the Spirit and sing to each other, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Let your heart be filled up with melody where nobody else can hear but God. And let the harmony of your songs be thanksgiving to your Heavenly Father, thanksgiving for everything. How does this fit into the battle cry in the previous verse? Look, the world is dark and the battle is real. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But God, God has overcome this world and our enemy has been defeated. The paradox of this life is that even though we must keep fighting the battle until the day of the Lord's return, no one can put out the candle in the cave. 
When we sing the songs of praise, our light shines brighter. We synchronize our hearts as brothers and sisters in an unbroken song of victory right in the middle of the fight. It makes us stronger together. Take courage, friend. Our God has overcome. Walk therefore in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, so that we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ our Lord and Savior. Thank you for joining us today on Back Porch Bible Studies. We are a ministry of women in Christian leadership. We are here to encourage, educate, and elevate women to live for Jesus Christ in God's glory. We do this by building a culture of sisterhood to equip women to know God's truth through His Word and to live authentically through the love of Christ. Please visit our website at womeninchristianleadership.com to learn more about upcoming events. Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank our sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, in business to serve Christ.